the most hated commodity, the role vanadium will play in the energy transition and why silver investors should get excited. But don't buy coins, you want to look at silver miners or base metal miners instead. I'm Shay Russell and welcome back to Cocktails and Commodities, the resource podcast where macro analysis meets mining insight. You know what I'm going to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. Give us a like while you're here and please remember, all information in this podcast is general in nature and not financial advice. Picking up from where we left off with Rick Rule, let's start with the most hated commodity right now. No, no, no. We'll get to uh, silver in just a second because once again, you said something clever. What's the most hated commodity right now? I would suspect among speculators it's silver. Uh, I would suspect overall the most hated commodity is probably coal followed by oil and gas, both of which I love. Um, Let's you know, the, go into that because coal's controversial, but, uh, you know, you can't have windmills without your uh, met coal. Yeah, I, you know, I'm not going to get into that whole debate. I'm one of those who believes that we shouldn't pump more crap into the atmosphere and more crap into the ocean. You know, I, I'm one of those. I'd love to leave the world a better place than I found it. But when you look at carbon in the very near term, the trade-off is uh, carbon or poverty. Uh, there are a billion people on Earth, Shay, with no access to primary electricity. These people would like to live like you and I and like your listeners do. And to do that requires more energy of all kinds. Added to that billion person number, let's do uh, maybe a little more uh, arithmetic around carbon. Uh, in the last 40 years, we've now, we've now invested five trillion US dollars in alternative energy. And we've taken the market share of uh, carbon-based fuels, fossil fuels, down from a high of 82% all the way down to 81% with a $5 billion investment. The largest year on record for coal demand was 2022. That demand was eclipsed in September of 2023, which means despite the pronouncements of the big thinkers, coal demand around the world is increasing, not decreasing. And when you get to carbon, you can see the reason why. The big thinkers in the world, and you'll notice I use that term advisedly, your prime minister, my president, Angela Merkel, that noted energy physicist, Greta Thornburg, the uh, big thinkers of the world uh, would have you believe that the right way to measure carbon is by national quota. Uh, people in frontier and emerging markets think that carbon utilization should be measured per capita. In other words, they, think, they don't think that 1.3 billion Chinese should have the same national quota as 330,000 Americans or however many Australians there are. And I think they have a point. <laughs> uh, secondly, uh, those people point out that the carbon loadings that the big thinkers find so destructive, and probably are, uh, were mostly contributed by Western nations. Uh, and they think that Western, the citizens of Western nations should pay a penalty for past sins rather than uh, getting a pass on the past sins and being held to account in the future. So I think in the West, we have two choices. Uh, we can either, you know, pay $10, $12 a liter for gasoline uh, and, you know, 70 or 80 Australian cents per kilowatt hour for electricity. <laughs> or uh, we can understand a different output 
in the near term for carbon fuels. The idea that India and Indonesia uh, and Malawi and Myanmar and Bolivia are going to subsidize the United States and Australia in terms of energy consumption in the future will not sit well with Australian and American voters. And as a consequence, it won't happen. The protestations of the big thinkers notwithstanding. How does that get back to coal? Well, the narrative has driven coal equity prices. The cash flow that coal producers have enjoyed has been off the charts, even as the equity prices have fallen. And the demand outlook for coal, at least for the next 10 years, the only time that cash flows matter from a net present value viewpoint, will stay very, very, very strong. The press makes a lot of mention of coal plant closures in the United States, conveniently ignoring that a new coal-fired plant opens every day in frontier markets. If you want some amusing narrative, it's interesting to note uh, that the West Germans recently had to knock down a wind farm to expand the cutback from an open-cut coal mine. <laughs> The visual image, I mean, I realize it's statistically that it's not important, but the visual image of that was amusing <laughs> to me. Uh, not too long ago, uh, Glencore, uh, a major coal producer, which has the courage to double down on their coal production, bought the 40% of a Colombian coal mine that they didn't own from a partner. Uh, mind you, this year, this mine has three decades of reserves left. They bought it for one and a half times free cash flow. In other words, this investment has an 18-month payout with the 30-year life. Um, it's very difficult to imagine a commodity that has better prospects that is more hated than coal. Now, are there problems? Of course. The big thinkers of the world are trying to constrain access to financing for the coal industry. Uh, what the Chinese are saying is, uh, if J.P. Morgan Chase can't help you, Industrial Commercial Bank of China can. So what happens is that the sources of capital change uh, as the opportunity continues to mature. So I would suggest for investors, the hated commodities, which is the place that you want to be, are oil and gas and coal. For speculators, the hated commodity is easily silver. And that's where we're going to next. Let's talk about silver. Now, uh, look, silver has basically done this incredible V-shape is the best way of describing it. It went yep. down at 100 miles an hour and it's come back up pretty quickly yep. as well. Um, look, look, there is, a, there is a pocket of the internet that is passionate about silver, perhaps beyond reason. However, there is an incredible base case for silver as an industrial use. But what I don't understand is why people would hate silver because as far as I can tell, my analysis tells me that the future for silver as an industrial metal is incredibly bright. What's your view on this? And I think people hate, hate silver because they had stupidly high expectations in 2019, 2020. Uh, you'll recall the Reddit silver crowd who believed that there was a broad-based a broad Wall Street conspiracy to depress the price of silver, and they decided to stick it to the man 
uh, and profit at the expense of J.P. Morgan Chase. Now, frankly, an IQ contest between Reddit and J.P. Morgan Chase, let's just say that the heavy end of the scale wouldn't be Reddit, okay? <laughs> um, but I also think that the time expectations exhibited by the silver bugs were wrong. I can't tell you enough about silver to tell you really the dynamics of a bull market in silver. What I can tell you is this. I've been through one real one and two little ones, and even the two little ones were stupidly, stupidly advantageous. It would appear to me that in a precious metals bull market, gold leads it. The fear buyer is first. And when gold establishes the precious metals narrative as credible, silver, perhaps because of its lower unit cost, in the latter half of a bull market, greatly outpaces gold. It moves further and it moves faster. But in my experience, gold has to establish the pattern. The most scarce of all natural resource investment assets are reasonable quality silver stocks. Uh, as my friend Doug Casey has pointed out, uh, the combined market caps of the real silver stocks is so small that when the generalist investor is uh, introduced to the narrative, there simply isn't enough, uh, enough market cap to control the money. As Doug famously says, it's like trying to uh, siphon Hoover Dam through a garden hose. Uh, and that very upside volatility is, of course, what, track, what attracts the speculators. Speculators always are manic depressives, from my point of view, or, or, or at least manic speculators, uh, which means when the bull market is underway, they're willing to take a third mortgage on their house to participate. Uh, and when the bear market is underway, they believe that some fundamental law of nature has been violated. Uh, and certainly the expectation that existed for silver in 2019, in an example, hasn't come true in the period 2019 to 2023. What that means is that based on their experience in the immediate past, they expect no change in the future. It is precisely that hate that causes bull markets. It is precisely that hate that causes uh, bull markets. So I, I can't tell you when uh, you are going to see an uptick in silver. Just as two years ago, had you asked me when the uptick in uranium was going to happen, I would have had to say, Shay, I don't know. But based on my experience in past markets, while this may not be imminent, it is in fact inevitable. Uh, and from a, from a speculator's point of view, it's very difficult to overstate what happens in a silver bull market. Um, my first silver bull market, now admittedly from a gold price controlled base, silver ran from a buck and a half US an ounce to 50. My second bull market uh, in the early part of the decade of the 90s, the silver price went from about five US dollars, if my memory serves me well, to 50. Not as dramatic a bull market, but a 10-bagger is still pretty good. Uh, the third bull market, it seemed to go from 15 to 50. I'm not hanging out in the silver market to see it go from 23 bucks to 26 bucks or whatever US. I don't care about that. Uh, I have a small, fairly small bit of money invested in silver and a larger amount of money invested in the silver stocks because I think that there's a chance, a probability rather than a possibility, that you see a much more dramatic move in silver and a stupid move in the silver stocks. 
Am I sure it's going to happen? No. Am I delighted to see the malaise in the silver market? Am I delighted to see the vitriol and hate that silver enjoys uh, in the comment section of popular media? I'm overjoyed, overjoyed to see that, just as I was overjoyed to be called a moron because of the, uh, the uranium trade 18 months ago. Remember, I had been in uranium for 35 years, and the people who were rounding on uranium couldn't spell it. Uh, <laughs> you know, I suspect you're seeing that in the silver trade now. You know, you're, you're, you're seeing 27-year-olds who say the silver hasn't gone up in four years, uh, as though that has some relevance. Uh, I really like that you made the distinction there for everybody listening between sil the precious metal silver market and silver stocks because there's a divergence here between the two that a lot of investors don't understand. Now, when you ran your silver, uh, silver boot camp uh, yes. earlier in the year, tell me, did your um, attendees come with a fixed viewpoint and were you able to change that viewpoint by the end of that boot camp? Uh, our, we had a lot of attendees. First of all, uh, I think that boot camp was attended by 2,500 people. Oh, wow. So you had a real cross section of people. You had some people who were dyed in the wool silver bugs uh, and who said to us that uh, we missed the fact that silver was absolutely positively over the long weekend going to go to $200 an ounce, you know? Uh, <laughs> now, I don't know that we succeeded in convincing them of very much. There were another group of conspiratorialists there. Uh, and our leadoff speaker, Jeffrey Christian, said that all the conspiracy theories were, uh, to coin a popular American financial phrase, bullshit. <laughs> uh, and that didn't sit well with those people, you know. Uh, we had a group of people there who just uh, are sort of rural investment media junkies uh, and want to attend all of our talks. Uh, and what we said to there was that we believed that over time, uh, a bull market in silver itself was inevitable, and as a consequence of that, couldn't tell you when it was going to happen, that there was going to be a, a, probably a pretty stupid increase in the silver price. Uh, and I think we got a reasonable audience for that. The uh, audience wasn't as excited or excitable as the audience who thought that they could stick it to the man and see the silver price go from $2,500, $25, me, to $250 on some monumental short squeeze, you know, that wasn't on offer, frankly. Uh, I, I think we had a very sober product. We talked about the increasing utility of silver in solar panels uh, and the much less understood increasing utility in silver as a germicide. Uh, its application in water treatment, uh, chemical treatment, and waste treatment, which is the fastest growing use of silver uh, that there is in the world. Uh, we talked a lot about the fact that very little silver, or a small proportion of the world's silver, pardon me, comes from silver mines. Most silver comes from recycling uh, or comes as a byproduct from gold mines, lead mines, zinc mines, or copper mines. And the consequence of that is that understanding silver supply is devilishly difficult because you need to make forecasts about recycling technologies and about copper production, gold production, lead production, and zinc production. Um, so it, it was an interesting circumstance. I, I can tell you this, Shay, anybody who went to the boot camp, almost anybody, uh, came away knowing a lot more about silver 
then they went into it. Uh, and yes, I'm sure there were people who were disappointed by the sober nature of the boot camp. I think there were people who signed up expecting us to reinforce their own idiom, saying <laughs> the silver is going to go to 25 bucks to 200 bucks. But that's, you know, that's not what we do, as you know. Certainly do. And tell me, is that boot camp available for replay anywhere? Because I am a big, as I've made before, very passionate about silver's long-term future and its industrial uses. I think it'd be Absolutely. great to have some clarity out If you go to, to ruleclassroom.com, rule uh, remember it's behind a paywall. It's not available for free, which most people would prefer. But the course material from all of our boot camps is available at ruleclassroom.com. I will uh, provide a link to that. And for anybody interested in paying, I do highly recommend it. I am quite passionate about base metal projects because you'll often pull out a lot of silver from them. So I do recommend anybody goes there. But before this interview must draw to a close, I have another question about one of your boot camps. Uh, and again, this is sort of leaning on a conversation you and I have had in the past. Out of this battery metal boot camp that you recently ran, what was the conclusion that you put in front of the audience? Uh, because I'm convinced that what we're using today will not be the mass-produced product 15 years from now. I think that's very clear. Uh, and I don't think there will be an emergent technology. I think that technologies will develop for specialties. Uh, I'm excited, as an example, about the utility-grade prospect for the uh, you know, vanadium redox battery. But I don't think that has any application at all for a cell phone. Uh, I think the technology that evolves will be a range of technologies, and I think these technologies will advance. I also think that um, electric vehicles uh, will emerge as one of, but not the, driving force behind electrification uh, and energy transition. I think that a billion people on Earth with no access to electricity and two billion people on Earth without access to uh, uh, affordable or reliable uh, electricity will be the driving force. The idea that you need to develop enough copper to get electricity to 250 million unserved homes, the idea that then you have to provide the ability for the home to utilize that electricity the idea then that there are a whole variety of gadgets in the house which improve the living standards of those people that they haven't bought uh, and haven't been built yet. And then the whole idea of distributed power, which is a fancy way of saying batteries. The idea that we need the ability to store primary energy, that we need the ability to store intermittent energy. The fact that we need access to power in all sets of circumstances is what we have to look at. Certainly, the demand for energy transition and battery metals will not be a one-way street. If we uh, suffer uh, a recession, a limited recession, or more troublingly, a global recession, in the next five years, there will be a reduction, a near-term uh, reduction in demand for a whole bunch of raw materials including energy transmission materials. If, as some suspect, uh, the centrally planned, perhaps over-indebted Chinese economy uh, has hiccups for longer than people anticipate, then the impacts of urbanization and electrification uh, are longer term rather than nearer term. 
but I don't think that anybody can doubt the uh, increasing utility offered up by technology in the electrification of the world and the fact that three billion people on Earth are going to be inexorably greater consumers of electricity and all things electrical. Whether or not the electric vehicle actually ends up making great big inroads against the much more efficient internal combustion engine is a very different question. Uh, perhaps for political reasons it does, or perhaps the technology around energy, trans energy generation, transmission, and utilization in vehicles means that electric vehicles become more rather than less efficient uh, against internal combustion engines. But I don't think that conflating uh, energy transition uh, and electrification with the electric vehicle uh, is the correct response. And I hope that that's the biggest point that we made at the electric and battery metals boot camp. Don't conflate the two. The future is more bullish than you suspect. But there could be a hiatus as a consequence of a global recession. Oh, that's a really good takeaway. Um, now, to draw today's interview to a close, I have two more questions for you. Simple ones, I promise. Uh, first and foremost, this is not really a question, but more of a statement. Uh, generally, for people listening, especially for first-time listeners or long-time listeners, if you haven't taken Rick up on this offer, I highly suggest you do. Uh, Rick, tell me, what is something you like to offer for people who are listening to this podcast? Yeah, I, I like to uh, interact with your listeners, Shay, so I give them the opportunity. If you go to my website, ruleinvestmentmedia.com, and you list your natural resource stocks, please no tech stocks, please no pot stocks, please no crypto. Uh, I'll rank your natural resource stocks. No charge, no obligation, one through 10, one being best, 10 being worst. I'll comment on individual issues uh, where I think my comments might have value. I've done this now for 80,000 people over the last six and a half years. Uh, I've learned at least as much as I've taught, so I look forward to doing it in the future. Uh, again, a link to uh, how to access Rick's ranking will be provided in the bio of today's podcast. Now, Rick, before you go, this podcast is called Cocktails and Commodities. Now, I recently enjoyed many a cocktail, maybe one too many on occasion when I was in Boca Raton in July this year, and I look forward to doing it again next year. But tell me, between uh, while the sun sets tonight, will you be making yourself a cocktail? And if so, what will it be? Actually, this evening, what I've decided is at home, when we don't have any company, uh, when it's just Bonnie and I, uh, I've decided to give myself a holiday from cocktails, uh, richly deserved, sadly. Uh, and so this very evening, I won't be enjoying spiritus beverage. Uh, as you know, uh, I uh, deserve some time off. Uh, from spiritus beverage. But this very evening, in answer to your question, uh, I'll be drinking, uh, well, I, I won't be consuming anything with alcohol. <laughs> Perfect. Well, then in that case, I'll have to make sure I grab you for a cocktail next time I see you in person. Rick, it was an absolute pleasure to have you on. Thank you very much for your time today. And I look forward to speaking to you next time. Always my pleasure, Shay. Thank you for having me back on and thank you for the opportunity of addressing your audience. After listening to Rick talk, would you consider looking at coal, oil and gas stocks? Or perhaps are you now more interested in the long-term role vanadium has in the energy transition? Or what might happen with silver as it becomes more commonly used as a germicide? Make sure you leave a comment in the box below because I definitely want to have this discussion with you. Of course, if you want your portfolio rated by Rick or you want to learn how to access his most recent silver boot camp, 
The links are in the description box below for you. That's all for today's episode of Cocktails and Commodities. Make sure you're following us so you always know what stocks are making news, which commodities are moving market, and the company's trying to get it out of the ground.